All right, so we are going to continue our series uh, that we've been that we started last week on sin, talking about the the nature of sin tonight. <clears throat> I want to read a few things to you before we start. We're going to talk about primarily what the modern view of sin is, and what I mean by that is it's a world-centered view. This is what the world says is sin. And a lot of different people have tried to make different definitions. There's some that I want to talk to you about. I remember in college we were studying a book. I think it's called Machine or Man. It's an excellent book written by a Florida Bible College graduate, Dr. Henry Patino. He actually came and spoke here one time on a Sunday night years ago, like probably back in 2016 or 2015. It was a long time ago. But he did an excellent job of really looking at the atheistic worldview and arguing for really the biggest lack in the atheistic worldview. If there is no God, then there are no moral standards. If atheism is true, then what Hitler did is just the evolutionary process. And that sounds terrible. The reason why that sounds terrible is because you and I have morals that are uh, built in within us. Okay, We know what right and wrong is. But there was one thing particular in which he talked about some studies where there is a belief that there is an inner beast within all of us. And that inner beast is, can be described in one, one way. It is natural. You, uh, they'll, they'll draw, they actually call it the inner beast because it is comparable to a wild animal. And you'll see where they compare this innate nature of man. In order to fully understand ourselves, we have to dive further into this beast. We have to dive into what it would be like to commit murder, to commit horrible crimes. We have to get to the base level of where we are in order to ascend up out of this beast. And I think that that is probably a good view of how the world classifies sin. It's just the inner nature. That's what the world classifies as sin. So there can be people who rise above that, and many philosophers teach that. Uh, some of them have a deterministic view where there is no hope for us. We're just going to continue to uh, be in this natural form of beast. And there are some who teach that we can, through the practice of good and the abandonment of evil, ascend into a utopia-style thing. And you can see where we can deceive ourselves into that belief. You know, we're looking at the world that we live in today with capitalism, for all its great things, it's not a perfect system. And there are things that are wrong with it, and there are things that are flawed with it. And people have made a response with socialism or communism to push and promote another way of trying to govern people. And you see most of the times, I would say all of the time, those things fall apart. What's the problem? Well, the system is developed by a flawed man. But people like to write off what sin is. So before we get into what the biblical view of sin is, I'm going to read off a couple of things to you that are characteristic of the modern view of sin. Number one, society calls it an indiscretion. Scholars, number two, label it as ignorance, just not knowing. Three, evolutionists say it is the trait of the beast. So this is our inner thing. This is, this is just naturally who we are. I want to park here for a second because... Christian science, uh, scientists teach it is the absence from God. Okay, now, 
When I read this in Dr. Cameron's outline, I was not very familiar with Christian science. I had taught, I learned a little bit about it in cult evangelism. Um, it's, I've, this is a comparison. Christian science is like grape nuts, cereal. There's no grapes in it and there's no nuts in it. So with Christian science, there is no Christianity in it and there is no science in it. So I spent about three hours, naturally, three hours looking into Christian science and it is incredible what they teach. But let me just read to you here what they teach about sin. I watched a 20-minute video where it was an interview of three different people, and they were all prominent back in 2009 when that video was shot. Uh, they were all prominent in the Christian science movement. They do not believe in a, a, a literal heaven and a literal hell. Okay, those are states of mind. When you eat a bagel from your favorite bagel place or your body has a Krispy Kreme donut and you feel good, and you also believe in God, you're in heaven. I'm so glad that heaven is better than a Krispy Kreme donut, you know what I'm saying? Or when you are in your worst moment, it's you have stopped believing that you are invincible, and therefore you're now susceptible to these attacks, and you're in hell. But when you die, there's not really any understanding of where you go. Some of them taught soul sleep, where you just rest, and you're some of them taught um, you're totally annihilated and there's no more thought or existence at all. But here's what they say about sin. We acknowledge God's forgiveness of sin and the destruction of sin and the spiritual understanding that casts out evil as unreal. So it's not, I mean, evil is a real thing. Sin is a real thing. To say, oh, it's not really real, we can actually heal ourselves by just believing that that's not true. That's like someone holding you at gunpoint and you convincing yourself that the gun is not real. It's foolish, but this, is, this was a prominent movement years ago. Mary Baker Eddy uh, was her name, or Mary Eddy Baker, I, I can't remember. But she pushed this, and she was a big-time faith healer. And she would actually push and promote that, you know what, we'll use grace as an example. Grace, you feel sick today. That's just because you have tricked yourself. You just think you're sick. So essentially, I could look at you if I were a Christian science teacher and say, stop thinking you're sick. Well, my body is sick. No, it's not. You're just tricking yourself. You see how demonic that is? And people fell for it. People are still falling for it. Their websites are still up. Here's the last line there. But the belief in sin is punished so long as the belief lasts. So let's say you're seeking salvation as a Christian scientist and you need to deal with this sin issue. The process is you believe what God has said that your sin is not real, and you continue to believe that. And if you die, then you stop believing it. Well, I'm here to tell you the founder of Christian Science is dead. At some point, she stopped believing that her body was immortal. You see how ridiculous that is? It's a prominent view. People just, have you ever heard of uh, positive uh, word affirmation? That you speak things positively into your life and therefore they will manifest? I've heard teachers say this where you have this power within you, within the fact that you are moving molecules and things in your mouth and manipulating air and it's all a part of the same energy that you can literally, when you speak things into existence, with the air that you use to speak, you can make things happen. 
What? The only thing that's happening there is a consumption of a drug. (laughs) Something's going on. But people believe this. There are some prominent athletes that believe this way. They just speak that win into existence. And it's a scary thing. And this is, this is where a lot of people end up. So when you have to be able to define what is sin, you need to understand what someone else may think of sin. That's why when we go through the wallet illustration and we start a gospel conversation with someone, we say that what is the biblical view of sin? For all have come short according to God's standard. And we're going to look extensively tonight at what the Scripture says about different things regarding sin. But it's important to see what the world says about it so that you can speak biblical truth to it. So I'll just repeat that again. Christian scientists teach it is the absence from good. We acknowledge God's forgiveness of sin and the destruction of sin and the spiritual understanding that casts out evil as unreal, but the belief in sin is punished so long as the belief lasts. And I can send you the link to that. I I put it in my notes here because I just thought that was fascinating. Number five, the fleshly man excuses it as a weakness. And new theologians declare it merely as selfishness. So what does the Bible say is the biblical view of sin? The first thing is, it is missing the mark. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay? The glory of God is the standard, and that is his perfection, his righteousness. We're going to look at that word righteousness in a little bit tonight. But it's, it's not what you and I think a righteous person should look like. Do you understand the difference? Because I'm not going to be judged according to my fellow man. Did you hear me say that? I'm not going to be judged according to my fellow man. I'm going to be judged according to the glory of God in which, oh, the scripture has told me I have fallen short. Now for the believer, I want you to get this for a moment. The believer is already declared righteous. You are declared straight. You are declared correct in the eyes of God. So when you and I stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, we will receive a reward based on the things that we've done in this body. And they'll be put into two categories, whether they are, I would argue James chapter 2 teaches this, what is profitable and what is unprofitable. All the profitable things will survive the fire. All the unprofitable things will be burned up. And that that fire is going to try every man's work of what sort it is. The believer himself is saved by fire. So there's no place in Scripture where you and I are going to have to answer for our sin before God. Do you understand that? So now when the unbeliever dies, they will go to the great white throne judgment where they will have to give an account. And they will fall what? They'll fall short. This is why we have to understand what Jesus did on the cross was a satisfactory sin payment. It wasn't just a sacrifice to satisfy God's wrath. It was something specific. It's a sacrifice to satisfy God's wrath for sin specifically. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was was punished for our transgressions. The things that we have done wrong were laid upon Him. And that was accepted. He cried out, it is finished. And in His death, He came back from the dead three days later 
to prove that he was who he claimed to be, God in the flesh. So now when you and I pass out tracts to people and we have conversations with people, we're trying to get them to recognize somebody paid for your sin already. You now have to receive that by faith in Christ. Does this make sense? But this is the primary definition of sin. It is missing the mark. Now there's other places in the Bible that use different terminologies. Now I want you to open your Bible with me and go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 in verse number 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. What does it mean to transgress? This means to break or violate. Okay? When you transgress the law in regards to the speed limit, you are going over the speed limit. Doesn't mean someone has to catch you in order for it to be a transgression. Okay, now we're all sinners in here. You know what I'm saying? We've all hit that speed limit a little harder than we could have at times, except for grace. Grace is being honest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we've all broken the law. And specifically, we've broken God's law, which is we've got to meet His glory. So it's not just, well, I didn't do as good as I could have done. Well, you've also broken His law. Now, sin existed before the law, but there is now strength in sin because of the law. Here's what God says you should do and should not do, and you have broken it. And that's exactly what this verse teaches here. So we're talking missing the mark, Romans 3.23. We're talking transgression, breaking or violating of what is right, and that what is right is God's law. Number three, it is bending what is right. Bending what is right really to meet one's own need and satisfaction. Look in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So here's what God has said is, is true. This is what God has said is correct. And man bends that in unrighteousness. If you imagine we have two beams of steel. One of them is straight. It is correct. It is in the proper form. The other one is bent. If you had to slide that into a hole and it is bent, you're going to have a problem. You're going to get as far as you can get while it is still straight, but as soon as there's an error in the way that the pole should be set, you're stopped. Do you see how there is anyone in the entire world can be labeled a sinner? There's not one person who would be labeled as a righteous man in and of himself. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Let me also propose this to you. If you are a person who believes that you can finish your salvation through dedication and perseverance... You cannot honestly say that you hold every truth of God in righteousness from the moment that you believed on Jesus Christ 
And now you are continuing in that I'm holding it right on my own. The gentleman I had a conversation with on the phone on Tuesday, I asked him a question. Is he aware of the Bible doctrine called the two natures? He was not aware. So this kind of makes sense where his camp is right now because he believes that he has been regenerated by God and that regeneration will now have to be upkept by him. Do you see the flaw there? It wasn't a one-time thing. God basically started it up, and now he's got to continue it. And if he falls off in some point in the future, then he was never really regenerated to begin with. You see how confusing this is? How difficult this will be? You can't tell me that we have all, since the day we got saved, continued to hold the truth in correct righteousness. We all sin. The only part of us that has held the truth in righteousness is our new nature in which we will shed the old nature one day and be present with the Lord forevermore. We have to understand what God says sin is and say, okay, that is true. Because if we, if we bend it, like point number three is saying here, we've sinned. It is rebellion against God. And you can look up here for this next one. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Okay, I didn't put this in the notes, but 2 Samuel 15 in verse 27 or 26, it talks about that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I know that you know this, how strong rebellion is. We, we can, if we are not careful, feed into rebellion. And it can really be disastrous. It can become a problem in our relationships, in how we deal with the world, and out there in, in, with, with law enforcement. I would tell the teenagers this all the time because, folks, let me be like real honest with you here. The idols for our teenagers today are absolutely horrible. One of the most trending artists in the world uses his platform to teach elementary school kids his music and if i I don't even want to tell you what's in his music there are people who are they are they're proud about the drug culture they're proud about the gang culture if we were to strip away the the musical elements of some of the world's most trending songs and simply read the lyrics you would be amazed at what our kids think is good music. And it's in their minds. It's pervasive. And it is rooted on rebellion. There was a rapper recently that died. He was shot fatally in a gang-related violent crime. And instead of putting his body in a casket, they propped it up on the stage in his funeral. They dressed it in the most high-end fashion, He had the best sneakers on, the best jeans on, the best shirt on. He had gold and silver around his neck. He's dead. This is a dead body. This was brought into a nightclub where they just partied it up. They said that he went out the gangster way and his body is propped up as a set piece for this kind of thought. Rebellion is where it's at. Isn't this something like, what? What is going on? And it gets put on Twitter. 
And people retweet it and they heart it and they say, hey, yo, that's what's up. <laughs> like people are so excited about that. It's rebellion. I think that's another really strong definition of sin that God gives us. Here's God's children in which he has placed them in a specific role and they what? They rebel. Parents out there, you know what this is like. Children rebel. Then they don't have to be taught to do so. Number five here is sin is debt. Luke eleven four And forgive us our sins and, uh, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are in debt to God because we have this sin. So our sin is classified as debt. I would encourage you, if you do have any debt in your life, to work on getting it taken care of. I know there's a lot of teaching on there on debt and finances, and let me just first say as a disclaimer, I am not a perfect person to talk to about that. Made a lot of mistakes in my early, early days. I think that there were some credit lenders that were, they were like predators on people that set up these false worlds and how your, your, your whole world is solved because you have, an, you have a line of credit. And a lot of people don't understand. But if you're in debt to somebody, the Bible says you ought not do anything else until you can get that debt paid. So go pay it. And then be careful of getting into debt again. Now, in the scope of the sinner... Our debt is, the wages of sin is death. And what Jesus did on the cross is he paid that all. He paid it all. And all a person has to do to receive that debt payment to their account is believe. Not continue in belief, but to believe one time that he did that. Then they're declared righteous. Number six. Sin is disobedience. Ephesians chapter 2. I do want you to look here because there's a couple of verses that I want to look around it. Ephesians chapter 2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You and I, before we placed our trust in Jesus Christ, were only the children of disobedience. We walked the course of this world. Now that we have this new nature, God has given to us a new birth, we can walk as children in the light and not in the darkness. But we still have our free will to walk in sin, and God speaks against that, This chapter does a good job setting that up and says that he will discipline us when we do walk this way. Look up here. When you hear somebody say to you, you can't continue to live in sin after you're saved, they're misunderstanding what I just said to you. They're missing that point. They think when I say, yes, you can live in sin and still go to heaven, that I am letting, I'm making God endorse that. That He wants you to live in sin. No, I'm simply saying that you can still be disobedient. And God will discipline you for that. The gentleman I had that phone call with said, what do you mean by that? 
Where does it say that God will chasten his children? I'm telling you, it was like rolling a bowling ball down a lane that's this long. <laughs> I mean, that's a strike every time. And you take them right to Hebrews chapter 12. And the reason why they don't understand that is because they don't understand this two-nature principle that's taught in the Scripture. But, in regards to our message tonight with what is sin in a biblical view, it is disobedience. God said, do these things. You did not. Also, and I've said this several times, we all talk about, the, you know, these pastors want to set up this horrible, wicked, adulterous man who's a fornicator and a murderer and because they think, well, no one in my congregation will be that bad, but don't forget the sin of omission. Not doing the things that you ought to do. That's a sin too. That's disobedience. Whether it's ignorant or willful. I want you to look in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2. It's not up there on the screen. It's, I want you to look on, at it in your Bibles. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ. Before you got saved, you are without Jesus Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Period. And the book ends. No, there's something that goes on. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were, afar, were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Before we talked about this briefly on Sunday night, no, actually, we talked about it at length on Sunday night. We're going to speak about it briefly here. In Galatians, where it says, we who are Jews by nature, the Jews had this idea that we are, because we are God's people, we have the law, and therefore we are better than every other culture out there. And they are God's chosen people. But now the Gentiles who were afar off and had no hope of any kind of cultural solution that they could develop, they're now, they've now been made nigh because of what Jesus did. And because now they can act on that and say, I believe. Do you see the understanding there? The difference that is highlighted? We're there now. It's not something we're attaining. We are there now. And disobedience is certainly a part of sin and a good definition of sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 12. You can look up here on the screen because we are in the, the last five minutes. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. This is deviation from God's requirement. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Number seven, unbelief. Sin is unbelief. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not, God hath made him a liar. It doesn't mean you actually make God a liar, but you have called him one. By the way, 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 through 13 are vastly important when you want to talk to somebody who says you can't know that you're saved until you've persevered. Because it says right here, if you believed, you have it. If you believe not, you're calling God a liar. 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. But sin is unbelief. This is why worry and anxiety can be unbelief. We're saying, I don't know if God can do what he said he's going to do. And if you don't know what God said he's going to do, then you haven't gotten in his word. You don't know what he's going to do because you haven't read it. Impiety or ungodliness is the last point here, or the second to last point here, the last one with a, with a, with a verse reference. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. God is the one who is justifying specifically the ungodly. Therefore, we can say that sin is ungodliness. And the last one here, it is iniquity, which is wrongdoing to the order, uh, excuse me, to the moral order of the universe. So you can close your Bibles, and that'll be our study tonight. Next week, we will get into scriptural examples of sin, and we're going to continue this study. Probably, I know that we won't finish next week, but we most likely will finish the week after that. The reason why I think this is important is because a lot of people tend to look at sin seriously, and then they turn from their sins, and they deceive themselves in that, I'm not sinning anymore. Okay, well, if you're not sinning anymore, then you're going, to be able to, you're, going to, you're going to look at these 10 that we've listed here with biblical support and say, you don't do those. Okay, and that's, you, you're lying if you say you do. Now, for the person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, for the remission of their sin, for the forgiveness of their sin, you get, as Jesus taught to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So now I have a nature within me which beats the requirement of 1 John 3, 9. It cannot sin. It's born of God. But I have this nasty nature that is still within me that still sins. That's not a demonic concept. That's something that's taught in the Scripture. And I thought it was interesting, the discussion I had with the gentleman the other day. He didn't understand that principle. When we got off the phone, this is how that conversation ended. I said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for two things, that you would come to the knowledge that Jesus has completed salvation. All you have to do is believe on him. And secondly, I'm praying for you to have your eyes open to the truth and to have any deceit exposed. I said, I care about you, and I, and I really do. I don't want that man to go to hell. I want him to have a change of mind. His response to that, he just mocked me, called that a genuine heartfelt evangelistic call in which I must need that requirement, he said. He said, I'm going to continue to do the things the Bible says I need to continue to do for my salvation, and you are deceived. And I let that hang in the air. I let it hang in the air. And I think he understood the weight of what he just said. Here's one person who said, I'm concerned for your soul. Who's the other person that said, I'm not. I'm worried about myself. That is a works-based salvation. There's no concern for the soul. If you're on our YouTube channel, there's a guy on there who is just every night now, he sits in his lazy boy and just wants to tear me apart. They give you timestamps 
He'll give you places where I stuttered. He'll give you places where I'm... Right? You know what I'm saying? And, and this is good, but not one of those comments has there been a concern for, this man's not saved. He calls me a fool. He calls me a heretic. He calls me a spewer of garbage, but he's not concerned about my soul. You want to be someone who's concerned about another person's soul? I think you have to realize how great you have it in that all your sin is paid. And that even a heretic can trust Christ. People got to reach him. This hand to represent you and me, my wallet to represent sin, and this hand to represent Jesus Christ. Here's salvation, not according to any of my view or knowledge. This is what the Bible teaches. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, right now, have everlasting life. Whosoever what, church? Believeth. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's what we've got right now, and you'll have it for the rest of eternity. Be careful what you choose to do with the remaining time you have here on earth. Be careful that you don't waste away this opportunity to win souls. You get caught up in the minor things of life. And you find yourself old and unfulfilled because you have lived a life for self and you have eternity to look forward to. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, please? For those who are watching on the internet, and I encourage you, if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for the full payment of your sin, would you do so right now? Don't wait. Don't delay. We have no idea how much time is left in our lives. If you have questions, feel free to email us. For those of you here in the room, I know you well. I want to pray that the Lord would continue to use you, that you would be obedient to the opportunities that are set before you. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the clarity that is taught in your word. We ask that you bless the choir practice that's coming up next and that there would be many people here, maybe for the first time on Resurrection Sunday, that would have a chance to believe on you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.